Fully Loaded Chew is tobacco-free, long-cut, and pouches that gives you the same pack, dip, spit, and buzz that you're used to without tobacco. Fully Loaded Chew comes in nine flavors and is made with all food-grade ingredients and tobacco-free nicotine. To give us a try, head on over to FullyLoadedChew.com for a $1 can of chew with free shipping when you enter the code OUTDOOR1, O-U-T-D-O-O-R, and the number one. For more information on our product line, visit FullyLoadedChew.com. Welcome to the How to Hunt Deer podcast. This podcast series was designed to help educate those who are interested in becoming deer hunters or brushing up on the skills essential for success. We cover a variety of topics that help you become more confident and successful in the field while hunting deer. In this episode of the How to Hunt Deer podcast, I talk with Casey Smith about how he uses maps to scout for deer in the more open terrain west of the Mississippi. Map scouting can be a challenge in more open areas as spots tend to provide a little bit better cover and a little bit better forage than they appear to on the map. So it can be tough to find out what kind of spots and places you need to be. In this episode, Casey breaks down his map scouting process from conception to kill. And we cover a lot of other topics in between like finding quality food sources, picking the right glassing point, and how deer relate to cover in more open terrain. Tune in and hone your map scouting skills from a seasoned pro. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Joining me today for the How to Hunt Deer podcast is KC Smith from The Element. How's it going, KC? It's going good, man. Uh, we had a cold front today that I wish happened in the fall, as you can imagine. <laughs> uh, I mean, you're in Wisconsin, so you might not know, but uh, it was uh, 81 here yesterday, and right now I think it's like 42 or 3 outside. So, oh, my goodness. Uh, busted the hoodie back out, and I've been uh, on the computer all day looking at a bunch of stuff, but one of those things being uh, draw statistics and all kinds of stuff, trying to figure out the plan for the fall. My goodness. I, I saw the other day. Did you get out and do some fishing recently? I did, yeah. Uh, Saturday went out and, oh, hell, that's a funny story in itself. Um, so Tyler and I, neither are boat owners because <laughs> we've been kind of poor a whole lot. <laughs> but our dads have a couple of boats, and um, but they haven't been, uh, you know, put to sea yet this year. So we were going to kind of go test them out. Well, Tyler's dad's boat uh, had a few issues, and we had to – tried to go to my dad's boat and it had a few issues so we ended up in the middle of a cattle pasture fishing a pool and uh i caught a couple bass man so you know uh throughout the day persevere through the, the adversity and you come out a few fish man well, there you go there you go <laughs> that's right <laughs> yeah now you go now you go from that and now the hoodie's back out and it's cold that's right we're gonna go try to shoot some pigs tonight instead so hey there uh, you go yeah that's how that's the world we live in man you, you uh you're either fighting the hogs or fighting the fish whatever you can do <laughs> whatever it takes, whatever it takes. That's right. <laughs> well, man, I, I, I really appreciate your time today. Glad you could come on uh, this uh, this episode. I'm doing a bit of a series right now on map scouting for deer. And, I, you know, as I thought through the guys who, um, who really put the maps to work when it comes to finding deer, uh, you and Tyler came to mind. Uh, you yeah, guys cool. get it done in multiple states. Um, you're traveling quite a bit. And I assume that means quite a bit of map scouting throughout the off season. I would imagine that uh, a web browser or application open to maps is probably in the majority of what my screen time is on my phone. <laughs> so yeah, <laughs> I, I would imagine that that's what happens, man. And 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 truth be told, I just love it too. Uh, I love looking at maps. I have since I was a little kid. I we used to go down the Texas coast and go fishing uh, before any of this you know, internet stuff happened. And, you know, I was like seven or eight, nine, and I would map it out in the Atlas of like what our route was going to be and how we were going to get there and all that kind of stuff more. We're going to stop and eat. So since way back, I've been map scouting for uh, at least a spot to get a good hamburger on the way, if nothing else, you know, so. (laughs) Well, there you go. Well, today we won't be talking about places to stop and grab a burger. Uh, Oh, come on, man. (laughs) Well, we can, maybe we can cover that off air afterwards okay <laughs> um but so far in this series we've had uh we've had some guys on to talk about map scouting at a kind of a big picture level uh we've talked a mm-hmm. bit about map scouting in the big woods and i wanted to chat with you about map scouting in open terrain mm-hmm. so okay. that seems to be where you do a fair bit of your hunting uh, i've watched some of your youtube videos this year uh, you guys look to be quite at home when it comes to the open stuff 
uh, kind of like you said before we started recording, not out west necessarily, but certainly west of me. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah. So I do a lot of hunting west of the Mississippi, and, and if you've traveled the country much or uh, aspire to, you should know this, that once you go west of the Mississippi, uh, the further west you go, uh, pretty much as a rule, of course there's always exceptions, but things are going to become more arid until you get to the, uh, you know, the western front there with the Rockies. So um, that's, uh, that's going to be kind of the trend. So anywhere pretty much between like even some of the stuff in western Iowa starts to get a little bit kind of more open grassland type country with some, you know, intermittent timber, you know, all the way over. You know, you can go all the way to western Nebraska and be real arid and still be seeing whitetail. So I, I really like that part of the country. Now, don't get me wrong. I love, you know, Iowa and places like that, but uh, they don't let you go there every year. So I had to find a way to, <laughs> to, to, you know, kind of scratch out something elsewhere. And that's what these some of these states, they're kind of the more, uh, I hate to say western, but we're just going to have to call it that, you know, more western-ish whitetail states you know not the big wood stuff is where i've done a lot of hunting and have learned um to you know i i don't want to you know by any means brag on myself or or i'll brag on tyler uh you know we'll just say he (laughs) done a real good job right and uh to be able to find deer out there and and have some success you know whitetail will um embarrass you anywhere across the, the country so i'm always trying to find a spot to uh maybe at least put a couple more things in our advantage. Yeah, for sure. And I, you know, I'll tell you, I've looked at, uh, I've looked at heading West. I've looked at South Dakota. I've looked at North Dakota. I've looked at, uh, I've looked at Kansas cause the draw odds there in Kansas are pretty good. And I got to tell you mm-hmm. when I pull up the map and I start thinking, okay, where do I start? How do I evaluate? You know, I want to be in this general area. Let's look at all the public lands in this area. I'm just mm-hmm. overwhelmed because it kind of, it kind of just looks bland. Uh, yeah. It, you know, it's kind of like looking at a block of big woods just in the opposite direction. Mm-hmm. And I'll give you a, a rule uh, for that exact situation. I know we kind of want to go like wide and go in. And that's kind of, I guess that's what we can do right here is kind of think about that, uh, that aspect of like, if you're looking at the whole, like, let's take a whole state. Let's take, uh, I don't know, let's take Nebraska because it's over the counter and, there's a whole lot of public land in the state compared to at least where I'm from in Texas. Yep, yep. <laughs> and uh, a lot of varied habitat too, you know, Eastern Nebraska can, can be, you know, pretty heavily wooded in some spots. So um, if you uh, look at stuff on an aerial map, um, you know, Google maps or whatever, if you don't have an application, I use on a lot. I love on X. It's, it has a lot of really helpful layers. Um, I, and that's, you know, it's on my phone. So I use it a ton. And, uh, if you look at a spot from an aerial, almost always it is better than what it looks like mm-hmm. whenever you're talking about this little bit more Western stuff. Now, there's a couple caveats in there, whether, like, you know, maybe uh, there's cows on it now and it didn't used to be or, or whatever. But overall, if you look at something and you say, man, there's not a ton of cover there, but, you know, there's a couple scrub bushes here and there or whatever, you take that put it, you know, boots on the ground, you know, from a visual level and then add some terrain in there. There's always so much more cover for deer than what you realize. Interesting. Okay. So it's not quite as barren maybe as it first appears. No, I mean, now given you can find some of that stuff out in South Dakota and you can look at it and be like, okay, I know that's dirt, (laughs) (laughs) but you know, uh, a lot of times it, it, it really is a lot better than, and Tyler and I talk about that all the time because we, we do a lot of truck scouting. So, like, of course, we'll spend our time on, on the aerial, you know, on the map, you know, scouting things out, finding places that are public. And then we'll go, instead of just straight up putting boots on the ground, we'll drive the whole perimeter if we can and, and make more assistance that way. And that's the one thing you always end up saying when you're driving around a property is, uh, man, this is this is better than I thought it was going to be. So, that's mm. an encouraging thing. You know, like, I like to be optimistic. And that's one of the things that I find optimistic about kind of heading and looking for whitetail you know, not in Missouri, Illinois, Iowa, Wisconsin, you know, once you, whenever you kind of get out a little bit further West, like that's something I have noticed at least. Yeah. So don't let that deter me as I start to, to look at some of these areas then that maybe don't quite look like they would necessarily hold that many deer. So as I'm trying to narrow it down, let, let's keep on with, uh, with Nebraska. I don't live there, so I don't care how many people flock there to hunt. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) 
They'll take so, as many as, as, as want to go. That's, that's one of the things in Nebraska. And I'm not trying to advocate for everybody to fill it up, but it's a neat state for sure. Has it, a lot of opportunity. It is, yeah. man. And I'm itching to think about Nebraska for turkeys. But anyway, that's a whole other <laughs> that's a, man. That's a whole <laughs> other thing. So, all right. So let's take Nebraska. We've picked a general region. We're looking at these different properties on the map. We're thinking in the back of our mind, all right, there's a little more cover there probably than it appears. What are some of the things that make individual properties start to stand out to you guys as you're saying, okay, I want to hone in on, on this specific area. And how often, you know, with that, like, are, are you guys really honing in on one specific area or are you trying to get into a lot of, you know, be in a place where you're within driving distance of three, four five different areas? Yeah, absolutely. So I think that the latter thing you say there is a pretty important thing. Um, it, okay, so we're taking Nebraska. It's a, uh, on a statewide level. You can kind of divide it into kind of three different sections. There's the really western stuff, there's the middle of the state, and then there's the eastern portion of the state. The eastern portion of the state is going to have a lot more trees. Middle of the state is going to be kind of that in-between country with uh, high top, you know, grain fields up top and, and ditches in the middle. And then out west is definitely going to be kind of the rolling Type stuff, and then of course within all that, there's the sand hills right in the middle of the state, and this and that and the other. But um, overall, I want to when I start looking at a map, I need to consider if this is an over-the-counter state or if this is a state that I am going to hunt as a draw state. Nebraska, being an over-the-counter state, uh, is going to have as many hunters as want to go there that year, and you have to keep that in mind when you're picking a spot. Now, if you're going to a extremely hard to draw place, like say Iowa. Um, you can kind of say, all right, I'm going to hunt this general, you know, whatever it may be, piece of public ground. And yeah, there'll be a little pressure, but it's nothing like if you go out to say a place in Nebraska that looks real good on the map and there's 30 people there, you're going to have to adjust. Right. So what I usually look at, uh, funny enough is, uh, a real broad view, like on Onyx, you can see it'll highlight all the public places, uh, you know, whatever different types there are to, whether that's state ground, WMA is some type of private land access program they have. And you can um, then kind of correlate that to maybe a, um, a small town or whatever it might be. So, and that'll be kind of your hub of where you're going to work from. And uh, Nebraska has a September season, which makes it kind of unique. And one of the reasons a lot of people end up there. Um, so you have September through December 31st to deer hunt out there. And you need to decide if you're going to camp or if you're going to, uh, you know, stay in a hotel motel. And I would encourage people to, uh, if they have the means, <laughs> stay somewhere that's comfortable because you're going to get better sleep and yep. it'd be a better hunt, which is a whole different podcast too. So sorry, I'm, I'm liable to go down these rabbit trails. <laughs> no, that's all right. That's okay. <laughs> but uh, for me, that's, that's pretty important. We, we camp a lot whenever it's decent, but man, whenever it's 85 at night, camping is just not much fun, especially – if you're going to go hunt early season, you're only getting five hours of sleep a night anyways because the days are so long. Yeah. So it's important for that sleep to be pretty good. So I would say try to find like, you know, uh, an area of the state that has seven to 15 uh, areas if you can. I mean, you're going to have to scale that a little bit depending on how much public ground is around. But, you you know, that you think are like potential spots for you to, to be and, 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 uh, kind of go from there as far as like, uh, I guess picking which spot and what area you go to. So that's probably the, the next step, you know, is like figuring out a region, like a service area, you know, a radius and, and decide, okay, I'm going to operate within all this. And then also have your plan B area of the state, wherever that might be, you know, so you go there for three or four days and have to bounce. You want to have a, a backup as well. Yep, for sure. So we get into this area. Let's say we've got, let's say we have 10 around us just to keep mm -hmm. a nice, even number. I start to evaluate these 10 different areas. This place has got a little, uh, maybe it's got a little hotel in this town and I'm thinking, okay, I'm going to sleep in my truck. Cause that's probably what I would do. I'm going to sleep in my truck. If I can, maybe I'll grab a night in this hotel. If, uh, mm -hmm. you know, I need to recharge the batteries, both my own batteries and, uh, yeah. you know, batteries from all, for all my gear. Uh, mm -hmm. you know, get a night in the sleep of sleeping in the cool. So I start to evaluate these 10 properties that are around. What, what makes you start to kind of rank these properties as, Hey, the, these three are the first ones that I want to jump on because I think, I think they're going to produce like, what are, what are some of the big picture things as far as, uh, you know, looking at a map goes that you're like, Hey, I, sure. I need to go to these properties. 
let's uh let's take it from uh, I guess two different directions, okay? Because you probably need to determine what time of year you're going. So uh, rut hunt, you know, or in late season and early season, those are going to kind of be three different things. So uh, it's going to really depend on when you're there, right? So um, I would say that uh, for some of that more early season stuff, uh, food and water are going to be super important. So you need to figure out, you know, what the deer in the area eat and um, what, what things are holding water, you know, whether it's a tank, uh, pillar, which is like a, a windmill tank or, um, you know, a river, creek, lake, whatever it might be, and more, more natural stuff, and, uh, and decide from that. And then if you're going to go, you know, for, um, you know, a rut hunt, it might be a little bit different. You might be looking for, you know, some cover specifically or uh, some type of corridor that, that bucks are going to travel. Um, and then, you know, later in the year still, you're going to kind of have that shift back to food again. So, uh, honestly, um, I, I usually look for food first and then let the pieces fall where they do and, and figure out how to hunt deer, you know, on rut patterns around that food if that's when I'm going to be there. So, okay. um, you know, say in Nebraska, I'm looking at Nebraska and, and I want to go hunt there. I'm probably going to hunt pre-rut stuff. I'm going to do my rut hunts in other states. Um, I'm going to be looking for uh, corn, soybeans, and uh, alfalfa on the map and you can't always determine that just from an aerial. That's another spot where a good mapping system like Onyx comes into play where you can, uh, you know, use crop data layers and, and decide what's there. Alfalfa is going to be a, um, perennial crop. So every year, most of the time, it's still going to be an alfalfa. So if you can find an alfalfa still on the map, it's going to be an alfalfa and it's going to be pretty good, especially if it's irrigated every year. Whereas corn and soybeans are going to rotate most of the time as well. Um, and so you kind of have to play it by ear, and that's where that truck scanning stuff comes in real handy. Uh, and then otherwise, most of the other crops aren't going to be primary deer food sources. So, you know, whether it's uh, um, something like wheat, hay, whatever it might be, um, at least in that free rut stuff is not too much of what you would call deer food. Now, late season, wheat is great, but, um, you know, we're kind of talking a little bit earlier. So that's going to be kind of, what I start looking for first, at least, and then correlating that to other stuff that are around on a property. Okay. Can, can you, can you go into into that cover piece just a little bit? So, you know, sure. you pull up, you pull up your map out there and some of this more Western stuff and, and it's just really not obvious where, where the cover is. And even, even <laughs> places with timber uh, out there, those are oftentimes not good areas of cover. You know, it's oftentimes yeah, so, just, it's oftentimes basically dirt underneath it. So how are yeah, you, exactly. how are you finding good cover out there? Um, it, I wish I could tell you something smarter, but honestly, <laughs> sometimes it's trial and error more than anything. You know, uh, there's a, there's this concept of map scouting that, that, uh, a lot of people don't talk about, but there's a lot of failure involved with map scouting because you gotta, go, you gotta like confirm some things. And then that's when you start really being able to be a good map scouter is like, you know, you can sit you know, in your apartment in, uh, I don't know, wherever, you know, in, in the East and, uh, you know, think you're doing pretty good and you probably are, you know, you, you probably know why feel good enough to, to find some stuff, but man, at least 60% of the time, it's going to surprise you what you actually do find there. So you got to go out and confirm a few things and kind of get to that point of knowledge of being like, okay, when I see this on the map, it means this. So for instance, like what you're talking about with that open, you know, bottom type stuff or whatever it might be, you know, you go out to a place and you're like, Oh, I found this river corridor. It looks really good. Well, you show up and uh, it's just really big trees. And then the cows have grazed all the bottom underneath it. And it looks pretty rough. Right. So like you, you, you just have to kind of learn what that stuff may or may not look like. Um, one of the telltale signs of that like cows are the worst, man. I hate cows. <laughs> when it comes to a hunting situation, they mess up everything. Don't matter what state you're in. Oh, and, uh, I do love to eat them though. So I understand the purpose, but, um, <laughs> yeah. And, uh, so if you see a spot on the map, that's got some really well-worn trails that all spider web into a water source, that place has cows on it quite often. And it's probably going to be less than ideal deer hunting habitat. That doesn't mean mm -hmm. you can't kill the, your biggest deer of your life on that property. However, um, overall I'm looking for a place that does not have cows because it over, it's going to have quite a bit 
more cover and better quality cover usually than stuff that uh, is great. Because what ends up happening out there, especially in drought conditions, is they just run cows on a place till it looks like the lunar surface. I mean, it just gets great way down. Um, so not a lot of cover in that situation or scenario. The other thing with cover out there is it's not by any means always going to be trees, especially you start hitting even further west. But even in the more eastern part of what we're talking about, um, you can find some really good grass fields, whether it's blue stem or, you know, just whatever native graze there is out there. Like for a whitetail, cover is like three foot tall, you know, a bedded whitetail. Now, if it's real hot, they're probably going to want a little bit of shade. But overall, if you mix in some tall grass, especially with some terrain, man, there's so much more cover out there than what you realize. So I'm always looking at places, and you can look, you know, at the distance between the topo lines and, and how the, the terrain kind of rolls. If it's got a decent amount of, you know, elevation change in an area, um, there's probably a decent chance that it's going to hold more deer than you expect, even when there's a severe lack of trees. Yeah, let, let's begin to talk then just a little bit about that water piece. Uh, mm-hmm. So we kind of got an idea of food. You're looking for typically kind of some some big ag, corn, soybeans, alfalfa, that kind of stuff. Uh, you know, when it comes to cover, we're, we're not necessarily looking for, for big trees. We're looking for places with no cows where it hasn't just been, been yeah, browsed down exactly. to nothing. Places with a little bit of terrain, uh, you know, the deer can kind of hole up in, in either some of the bottoms or along some of the ridges. Let Jump into that water piece a little bit what kind of role does that play in your map scouting for deer um so water is you know is a lifeline for animals and, and i truth be told have until this year have not realized that to any extent and i'm sure i have a lot to learn about it but uh i killed a deer late season in uh oklahoma on a on a bed to water pattern which uh I don't even think about it as being a, like a December thing, you know, but it, it really is because they have to drink. They have to have water. So you can look at a place that looks bad to the bone, has a lot of cover, um, but if water is a mile from there, they may or may not be using that as much as they are the place that they can water on property. So you have to really, really keep that in mind. And then the other side of water is that it creates cover, right? Because what does it take to grow plants? It takes water and sunshine. So, um, sun is not a limiting factor <laughs> because <laughs> it's always out there. Yep. Uh, but especially, uh, you know, west of the Mississippi water becomes pretty tough to get. And, uh, places that do have even the tiniest underground sub irrigated trickle are going to grow better, um, you know, grasses or shrubs, whatever it may be and give deer more cover and habitat, which is super important. You know, Deer only live where they are, if that makes any sense at at all, right? So, like, a whitetail in Nebraska that has, uh, you know, maybe some cedars to hide behind or uh, a, you know, a large sand dune to get behind and get out, get in the shade, has no idea that the deer in Iowa are underneath giant oak trees and just living it up, right? And so they're just (laughs) going to adapt. As long as they have food and water, they're going to find the best shelter they can to survive. And that's why you end up seeing deer, you know, in these residential neighborhoods near golf courses that just kind of bed up next to the house, you know, because they're like, well, I got food and water and safety, so I don't have to have that much for cover. Well, that's kind of the same thing out, out in some of that country where their safety is the seclusion of where they live. So they can just really just kind of get themselves covered up whatnot and, and, and feel pretty good about it. And that's what you end up finding on these, uh, places that are like maybe like there hasn't been a running stream there since the spring, but because it's just a ditch or a draw or whatever between the slight bit of elevation that you get from that and just a little extra bit of, of water that, you know, accumulates there throughout the year, there's decent cover for a deer to hide out in. And I think with that as well, the um, terrain that water provides is probably – Uh, worth talking about too because you know you have a flash flood creates a washout and then 15 years later that just ends up being a kind of a grassy little nook right up against the hill like that's a really great spot for a deer to hide because it cannot be seen from a road or even from 
you know, the normal terrain of the property when you can look across the thing and think it's just a, a wide open prairie, but there's actually little holes out there that the deer prefer. Yeah, for sure. Now, you know, when, when it comes to these, uh, you know, water bedding cover, like those things are, are pretty common wherever you are. Uh, they look mm-hmm. a little bit different out there. I'm curious about how you begin to relate those things together beyond uh, just mere proximity. So, you know, I'll take my home state of Wisconsin, for instance. Um, I hunt a lot of ag ground. Uh, there are blocks of timber and there are marshes around. And it, it's, it becomes pretty clear where the deer are going to travel. They're not going to walk across a cut bean field. Uh, mm-hmm. they're, they're not going to walk across a cut cornfield. I can pretty much tell you how the deer are going to walk from, from their bed through this strip of timber out into this area to, to feed. How do you begin to relate these pieces together? Like how do the deer use the terrain and the vegetation out there that you can pick up on, on a map? So that's an interesting question. And of course, um, every place ends up being a little bit different and there's always something to be gained from being there in person. But one of the things that, uh, I've Tyler and I've seen a lot is that, uh, deer will kind of stick to the ditches and, you know, kind of down in the draws in the evening and in the, like kind of on their bed to feed pattern. And then in the morning, a lot of times they'll be more up on the top so they can make quicker time back to their whatever they want to be safe. So uh, I think overall, that's kind of how I approach things, um, you know, from a hunting standpoint. And then by all means, do not <laughs> try to not let myself get in too much of a, you know, rule mindset when it comes to that thing. You got to listen to the deer, right? When they tell you that that's not where you uh, are going to, need to be you need to be able to move and make adjustments right but um that's kind of how it seems like deer tend to usually follow um you know creek systems draws ditches whatever it may be as a as a highway um they even do it here in east texas i mean if you are hunting a big block of timber down here and and you don't have anything else to go by go sit up on the edge of the creek because it's gonna funnel deer because there's always a game trail right down the edge of that creek right Mm -hmm. and and in slightly more open country really aren't that much different. They still are going to relate to that cover and, and that uh, line as a way to get places. And the neat thing about creeks is they usually are ditches or, or whatever you want to call it. They always end up heading out at some type of upland site where a lot of times the crop fields are. So it just kind of works out for them. It's funny how <laughs> they're pretty good at, <laughs> at adapting and making uh, their environment work good for them, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, man. That's a that's a gold nugget. I, I don't want people to miss that. So you guys have observed a lot of movement in the bottoms along ditches and creeks and that kind of thing in the morning or in the evenings. Yeah. And more movement up on top in the mornings. And obviously you'd want to yeah. get out there. And one of the cool things about some of that kind of hunting is the deer are way more visible. Now, they might be a mile mm-hmm. away, but you can see them. You know, you mm-hmm. can watch them, see what they're up to. But you can go and confirm that pretty easily, like first morning yeah. kind of stuff. Yes, absolutely. And, and of course, it can be completely different than that. You might find a spot that has an alfalfa, like, you know, 20 acre plot in a, in a bottom with just some brush around it, and those deer don't hardly move anywhere, right? But overall, in that more open country, that, that definitely is like a thing to look for, if nothing else, is, is that evening movement uh, lower and then uh, later movement in, or morning movement uh, kind of on top, heading back to bed. Now, uh, there is like a little caveat to that. On a hot day, um, it would seem that sometimes that evening movement is really delayed, and then they will have that let's get there fast kind of thing going again, and they'll hop up on top and, and try to make ground to uh, the food source for the evening. That's really interesting. Have you noticed you know, deer just burning it across some of that more open terrain quite often? sometimes man it's it, and it can be down in the bottom door up on top like uh especially later in the year they get like excited to go eat at night you know they hadn't eaten all day right so they're hungry it's kind of like uh if you're um a breakfast person you know you then you know in the morning it's like okay where's my coffee where's my cereal or whatever it might be right? kind of the same kind of thing i think they just get 
antsy about it almost. They don't really lollygag too much. Now, if you're trying to hunt big bucks, that might be different, you know, and I understand that, you know, kind of on this podcast, we're really talking about just deer habits more than, you know, trying to hunt big giant bucks. Right. And, but, uh, I think all of us like to hunt big bucks sooner or later. That's so, right. um, that's another thing to think about as well. Um, that's why, uh, I mean, a lot of these states too, if you're talking about traveling or if you do live in one of these states that are a little bit more open, um, you're not going to be able to shoot uh, as many does as you are bucks or, or if you want to shoot a buck, you won't be able to shoot a doe either. So, you know, a lot of times we are thinking buck minded. And with that being the case, um, setting up right on the edge of a food source, especially in the evenings, doesn't really always work out very good for you in the mornings either, because you end up spooking deer, but that's a whole nother thing we can talk about. But in the evenings, sometimes you have to kind of weigh out your, uh, all of, all of your details and decide like, what's the most optimal place for me to set up to where I'm still going to see this deer in the daylight, but I'm not going to be too far from where they spent their daylight hours so that I don't end up encountering them. Mm. That makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. How, how does, man, how do you go about staying hidden yourself when it's so open? I mean, we just talked about deer being more visible out there, but when you're weighing, uh, when you're weighing like, man, how do I get into, into this area without being detected? You know, how do, how do you even, what, what are you using for cover? Man, that's, that, you bring up a really great point there because uh, the reason I like going out to this more open country is that you can see deer make moves on and, and you feel like you're doing something. Whereas, like, if you're out, you know, east, you find a, a couple rubs and a scrape or whatever your tactic is and you sit up on it and hope one comes by because you can't see more than 60 yards, right? Yep. But the inverse of that is that, uh, anything you can see can usually see you. So mm-hmm. you have to work through that. Uh, there's a, there's a hunt from South Dakota last year that, uh, I set up, I mean, I was out in the open <laughs> and I'm shooting a, a buck. I was really happy with I'd had COVID all week on the hunting trip. So it was, uh, I was happy to shoot anything and he was a quality, you know, like two or three year old eight point. Um, but I mean, I literally set up, uh, 400 yards from kind of a destination type food source and, uh, was in, I was sitting, I was sitting in a place where if I sat up on my rear, like, you know, Indian style, my, my shoulders would be above the cover. Right. So I was set up to where I had to kind of lean on my elbows to be in the cover at all. And the deer still caught me. I was camouflaged up real good. And, and thankfully he was, uh, not a, six and a half year old real wise deer he got curious and ended up getting a shot off and killing that deer but man a lot of times you've got to really focus on um you know just remaining as still as possible and trying to just blend in and uh really great camo pads don't make a ton of difference you know being still and concealed makes a difference so a lot of times some of your your best cover is just shade because in a contrasted situation like that, it, it's kind of like if you've ever messed with a camera on um, like manual settings, uh, it's how your eyes work, right? The reason you put on sunshades is so that you there's not as much contrast to what's going on. You can see better. You know, the deer struggle with the same thing. Whereas like, you know, if it's kind of bright and sunny and open, they have a real hard time telling what's going on in the darker places, right? So you can use that shade of anything really to your advantage. And, uh, you know, kind of going back to that ambush point talk we were talking about, um, a lot of times you're setting up uh, cover dependent. You know, I, I can think of a bunch of times this past season where I really want, <laughs> I wanted to kill the deer and have an invisibility cloak. I'd have set up in a different spot, but I had to set up where either I had a little bit further shot or maybe, um, you know, a less than ideal um, for daylight place uh if that makes sense so you know kind of set up further up their uh line of travel hoping that they make it to me because that's where my best cover is and i guess to kind of go along with that you definitely have to be open-minded to hunting from the ground in those type of situations you're there are i'm a saddle hunter i hunt out of a cruiser saddle and i love it um but i hunt out of about 60 percent of the time because I don't want to be tied down to one specific type of, um, you know, 
whatever ambush, whatever you want to call it, right? So from the ground, from the saddle, whatever it may be, you need to be able to be flexible. And that's one of the things that saddles help you with, right? Like they're not super heavy. So you can go in with the intent uh, to hang. And if you don't find a tree that's adequate for your situation or not one that sets up, you know, at the best ambush point, then you can just kind of adjust on the fly. But one of the good things about saddles is that you can, especially like those cruisers we have, you can kind of set up in a much smaller tree than what the average tree stand hunter thinks of being a good hunting tree. Um, so I've set up plenty of times where my, uh, my rope is, you know, attached to something the size of my wrist, you know, so I'm just not, not up in, in a very big tree, you know, but just enough to kind of change, uh, I guess the trajectory of, of the deer's vision, you know, you're, they're not going to be looking at a person standing there or sitting there, you know, you're just barely up in a tree. So hopefully that wasn't uh, too bad of a scatter shot for you to understand what I was talking about there. <laughs> but no, you, know, you have to, just like the deer do, you have to be open-minded about what is cover, whether that's a laid down log on the ground or, uh, you know, a tiny tree that maybe you can get your saddle platform five foot up in or all grass or whatever it may be. Just adjust on the fly. Don't be afraid to try things out too. I think that's a huge part. Like, uh, I've been crippled so many times by just like, oh, man, it probably won't work. Uh, when, honestly, like, you didn't kill a deer that evening anyway, so what if you went out there and it didn't work, but you learned something, you know? So, like, don't be afraid to try something slightly risky because, I don't know, maybe it works that time for you. <laughs> yeah. How often are you are you getting that risky? Now, I, I do just want to say real quick, uh, yeah. I, I'm a saddle guy too, man. I, I, I love it. I use a, an Overwatch Outdoors. Uh, Orion, which just really nice. It's got the little folding like pouch kind of gives me a little bit of a cupping feature for what Uh I'm working with here. Um, And one of the things that I love about a saddle, no matter what saddle you've got, I don't feel the same kind of obligation. If I get to a spot and and a tree is not conducive or the trees in an area are not conducive, I don't feel like, ugh, I got to get up in this tree. I lugged this all the way in here. I got to get in the tree. With a tree stand, I felt that way. Mm Mm-hmm. And you know. you're making a lot of noise just getting in there because the tree stands big, loud, and clunky too. You know, That's like right. the other good part about it, you just you're less sweaty because you didn't carry as much weight. I mean, there's a whole bunch to it, man. It's it's it really is the I don't want to say perfect. It, it's the best thing I've found so far for being a mobile guy. Yeah, you know, if you, you want to hunt mobile and you're not hunting out of a saddle already, you need to rethink your life, <laughs> your life choices. It's worth checking out. For yeah, sure. yeah. That's right. That's right. How, how often are you, are you getting in a really risky position? So like this buck that you killed, uh, you know, in, in not the best cover, like, are, are you pushing the limits like that pretty regularly or is this kind of a, like, and eh, we're towards the end of a trip. I got to try to make something happen. I, I definitely, uh, am conservative minded when it comes to that stuff. I mean, um, sometimes you just know that a setup is going to work. And that's how I felt in that situation where it was that risky cover. Like I just knew that um, those deer had no pressure in there and I could get pretty close and they would just be preoccupied with browse and I would possibly get out the shot. And that deer still caught me and, uh, you know, his curiosity got him. But, um, and I can think back to South Dakota uh, two years ago, same type of deal where uh, I went in on the ground in a real risky situation you know, the first evening I had a good win for it and got a shot at a really great buck, but I knew it was just a killing spot. You know, like if you've hunted for a little while, you'll, you'll kind of pick up on some of this stuff. Like some places are just killing spots, man. But if you don't have that, it's definitely worth being conservative and getting a spot of nothing else that you can observe, you know, maybe kill something, but have really good exit routes to where you're not bumping deer especially in the evening, right? In the morning, usually you can kind of get out with that buffing deer, but in the evening, who knows, especially out in that open country, there's so many eyes and those deer can see way better than you at night. And if you're close to the food, you know, they, they're going to see you walk out. So you got to kind of keep that stuff in mind. But overall, I, uh, I'm not uh, that risky when it comes to like my setups normally. I really like to be in a really good spot. And uh, I, I guess I got to throw this out there too. We film everything we do. Uh, nowadays with, with a camera guy most of the time, you know, we've, we've got a lot of good friends and uh, a couple of interns this year going to film for us. And, uh, like you have to have decent situations for that. 
you know, when there's two blobs, it's way worse than one blob. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You got to keep that stuff in mind, too. And you can get creative with that as well, where your camera guy can set up, you know, a little bit away from you uh, in much better cover than what you are. And that's exactly what we did in South Dakota this year. I was out in that really risky spot uh, by myself, though, with with, uh, a really small backpack and a bow. And then Eric, with all the camera gear, was up, nestled up in a cedar tree, kind of impenetrable, really. Like, you know, he he was – he was not going to get caught. So uh, I think that uh, for the average guy who doesn't have camera stuff, like um, be as risky as you feel like you can get away with without messing something up unless it's your last day and then throw a Hail Mary. I think I call um, – we actually have a term for this. Uh, it's called knowledgeably aggressive. So you make the most aggressive mood, move you can make that still makes sense and doesn't put you in a worse position um, for the next hunt. So, um, push as far in as you can without bumping deer or, um, get as close to the trail as you can, but make sure you kill them or whatever it might be. Like I, I can remember some, some hunting situations in the past where like I knew where deer would be, but I still wanted to kind of sit up and watch them and, and just kind of confirm or whatever. Well, what ends up happening is, uh, you know, the third day, the wind changes and you can't get in there. And you're like, shoot, man, that hunt's almost over and I don't have a good wind to go hunt those deer yet. And I got to figure out something completely new. Mm, so yep, yep. there's no reason to sit there with information in your back pocket and not go make use of it. Yeah, let, let's circle back just a little bit to uh, to observation. Now, we've, we've touched on it a little bit here and there as kind of parts mm-hmm. of other questions. As I'm thinking about, you know, map scouting, I, I I didn't share this with you. I've gotten the green light from my wife to head to uh, a state a little west of me here in Wisconsin um, that has some pretty cool. some pretty good early season uh, early season sca- or, uh, hunting, and it's got a little bit of terrain. and And one of the things that I want to try my hand at is, you know, kind of like you guys like to do, you know, laying eyes on something and then making a move on it. And mm-hmm. one of the things that I'm trying to pick out in an area besides all the cover and the water and, you know, food and all of that, have that kind of figured out in my mind. I want to have multiple areas that I think will be good spots to, to glass, good spots to see. Um, and I've kind of, I've kind of tried that a little bit in, in different areas before and I end up getting there and it's like, I can't see as well as I, I thought I could. Um, <laughs> but, but it's really tough to say, you know, well, I'm just going to wait until, the sun comes up and then I'm going to walk that two miles across this big area to get to that good glassing point. Right. Like you, you kind of mm-hmm. need to know where you're going ahead of time. How do, do you guys factor that in when you're doing uh, map scouting, you trying to find, okay, I think this will be a good glassing knob. And if so, what are you looking for? Yeah, I do that quite a bit. Um, I actually usually go through and mark them. Every uh, person who is really intense about their map scouting, I think kind of has a little bit of a system for how they mark things on the map. Uh, I usually go through and if it's a place, this is a thing I learned from Tyler, but there's like a white hot, so it's a place you think is going to be real good. So you either you drop whatever, um, you know, pin you want to designate it as, whether it's like a, an X or, you know, bedding or, uh, in this case, glassing. And I go through and I, I drop a white binocular pin on the places that I think are going to be really good for glassing. And I, and, um, I don't, strike out on that too often because I feel like I pick places that are real obvious. Like, okay, this is 150 feet above everything else. You're going to be able to see something from there. You know, um, I think that, um, that's like a, that's like a kind of a lazy way to do it really. You know, it sounds like you're really pushing the envelope and trying to kind of find a, a, a tucked in spot that you could or couldn't, uh, see depending on, you know, what's going on there. Um, so I think that maybe the way to like make sure you, you have a pretty good glassing spot is to pick the really, really obvious stuff like, Oh, this bluff is 180 feet above this whole river bottom. And you're going to be able to see something from there. Um, you know, does that, does that kind of answer your question as far as like, you know, the stuff that didn't work out or whatever, or did you do that? Still have Yeah, no, that, that's exactly it. Like I, I looked at the obvious places and, and I'm, I, I, when it comes to map scouting, sometimes I can be my own worst enemy and just overthink oh, everybody things. Everybody can. 
you know, man, I jump in on it and I'm like, all right, now this is a really obvious spot. It's, you know, 75 feet higher than anything else around it. It's an obvious knob that would be a great spot to get to. But if I went over here, then I could possibly see down into this little, you know, whatever. And, Mm -hmm. and I end up getting there and getting burned because I can't see anything Mm -hmm. from there. Or I can see, you know, a a fifth of what I thought I could. And it ends up being less of an observation sit and more of a, (laughs) I'm just sitting here hoping something walks by. Yeah. Good old bow hike. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) A bow hike. I like that. Yeah. uh, Yeah. I've done, I've done uh, a decent amount of that too. And I think that's what I've learned is to just go for the really obvious stuff. Uh, And now, I'm going to be real hypocritical on this because I do not own good glass, uh, but good glass would help you out in that. And, and if, if you're new to this kind of stuff, good glass means like quality optics. So um, I, I don't. I have kind of some of the less expensive stuff out there, but I have really good eyes, so that kind of helps as well. Yeah. <laughs> um, so uh, a lot of times um, I'm glassing from all these places, deer that are a mile, you know, maybe – a thousand yards away uh and i can't really tell like oh man that's a that's a 10 point with a kicker on his left g2 you know but honestly i don't need to be able to tell that i can tell shooter <laughs> or not uh, you know like it's, it's the truth man i'm not jay scott down trying to find 420 elk you know like yep. I, I, i'm trying to make see if this is a buck that's worth making a move on and uh i can usually do that with my 10 to 42s so um you know and with that, if, if you can carry lighter stuff, it makes it a little bit easier to get into maybe some of these places as well. You know, you don't have to lug the big old spotter in with you or whatever, and you don't have the financial burden of spending thousands of dollars on something that, um, you know, you may or may not use all hunting season. So that's for each guy to kind of weigh out. But, yeah, I think that, you know, having a, a good concept of, like, what you're actually trying to achieve from the – observation sit is pretty important too, or the, the glassing session or whatever, because, uh, I can think back, I go back to South Dakota a lot because glassing paid off in South Dakota for us big time this year. But like there was a situation where I was glassing actually from the road, uh, through binos and a cheap spotter that was no better than binos. But, um, and I was seeing, you know, loads of deer hit this one corner of this corn alfalfa, kind of boundary and uh i could tell there are a few bucks don't have didn't have a clue what size they are but it allowed me to know where i could go in and and set up and where i could get away with walking and that sort of thing and where the deer were going to come out and so on and so forth so i was gathering a ton of information but still not like scoring bucks at a a thousand yards you know what i mean oh yeah you really need to kind of understand what's important to you and what information is actually going to help you kill deer yeah, I tell you what, it, I uh, I'm not interested in telling you what the deer can score. If uh, if I <laughs> if I look out there and I'm like, oh, I see antlers, and I kind of want him, and yeah. I make the hike up over there, and you know what? If he pops out and he's a little smaller than I thought he was going to be, uh, the best way to make a deer a shooter is for me to have just walked a mile to get to him. And uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, the buck I shot in South Dakota was a mile and a half. Like, not just the old, like, oh, mile and a half back, like, legit, you know, <laughs> two miles over, or a mile over and a half mile up, you know, like, it was it was way back there. I know what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, and he becomes a shooter real quick. If <laughs> Yeah, buddy. Yeah, absolutely, man. And I think that's a great point to bring up, man, if you're, and I, I know that this podcast wasn't all about for people wanting to travel to hunt, but I know, too, that the areas I'm talking about don't have a high population of humans. That's so right. a lot of people will be traveling to hunt this stuff when they do. And, uh, you know, little tip here, uh, look at population densities of humans on maps as well. And you can usually find a really good spot to deer hunt when there's not a lot of humans around and they, they don't like people. So <laughs> that's why we have a hard time getting close to them. But, um, you know, if you're looking to, to travel, you really need to scale your expectations to be reasonable, you know, like, a huge part of going out here and, and going out west is, yeah, you get to see the deer, but like you might be on a limited time frame, and and you probably aren't looking at this as a season hunt. So you might be looking at it as a five, six, seven day hunt. Uh, you know, if you're blessed with that much time, so you need to think about like what is going to make you happy to take home, and it is a okay to go out there and be like, you know what, it's day four, and this doe looks 
so fat because she's been eating alfalfa and beans all summer. I would love <laughs> to shoot this thing. It's going to make me super duper happy. You know, like it, you definitely don't uh, need to go out with a booner or a bust mentality if you haven't uh, got a few notches in your belt as it is. You know what I mean? That's like, right. I feel like this culture that we, that we hunt in now uh, because of social media, there's people killing big giant bucks. It seems like everywhere, but when you put that as a numerator over number of hunters, that's such a small percentile of people. So you don't need to be comparing yourself to like these big buck killers out there. Instead, you need to compare yourself to what you've already done. And if you've only killed two does in a, in a basket rack eight, well, maybe you're looking for a three-year-old eight point this year. And that deer is a quality animal in every state in the country, you know? So, you know, be excited about just getting to go out and go to a place that maybe has a higher density of deer or a place you can at least see them and, and, uh, you know, have, uh, I guess, decent expectations of what you can walk away from there. That's right. I, I think shots on live animals is one of the number one things that guys that don't have a ton of experience are missing out on. Uh, oh yeah. You know, I mean that, that is the number one thing you, you want to say like, what, what are the top five things that will make me a better hunter? I, I would I would put that uh, shooting at living and moving things in that top five somewhere. Absolutely, man. I, the best I <laughs> when I was at my peak of like hunting ability was probably about age eleven when I had a Red Rider BB gun, <laughs> and I so many live things I could predict movement. You know what I mean? Like that's the, yeah. that really is. And then the, the second you know time was probably I used to do feral hog control for a living. So I, you know, I had hundreds of targets a year. And whenever you get to be a trigger man like that, it makes you a better hunter because you, your nerves are calmed, not in a bad way, but in a good way. It's like a heightened sense, right? So you, you can have that stuff. And to even take that a little further, like one of the great things about getting to go out into some of this more open stuff, I'm not going to say West because it's just, you know, for some people it's just a hundred miles just West and you can find stuff like this where, um, suddenly you get to watch deer all evening long and get to learn how they move and what they do and how they interact makes you such a better hunter than sitting in the hardwoods and maybe only seeing two deer a year, but one of them's a buck, you know, like you, you get this, uh, concept for how deer move throughout the landscape. And then it all kind of, kind of comes back, reverts into this map scouting thing we're talking about where you actually get to apply the things you learned in an aerial as opposed to just kind of guessing it like what you've heard or maybe think you know about whitetail you know there's nothing that can and there's no bigger benefit to a hunter than experience and that's kind of what you were talking about with the the shots on live animals thing right yeah. it's just experience means so so much that's why <laughs> funny enough i just put a poll on our youtube channel the other day uh you know who who is the best hunter ever um, and I'm by no means trying to out anyone, but, um, I put some of the people I think are great on there and then gave people the option to, you know, kind of name others. And, um, some of these guys are, are naming people who are good hunters that I know well, but they're, you know, 25, 26 years old. And they're like, dude, there ain't no way at that age you've had enough even experiences to, to be ranked up there with the gym shockies in the, of the world. You know, yeah. it's just, it's just experience means everything when it comes to hunting it you, you just have to get out there and get in it have enough shots and enough encounters to to go through you know all the variables that can happen to you as a hunter yep and I, something you alluded to just a second ago you know you get out there you make those observations you have that experience and then you bring that back and look at your aerial and you look at your map mm -hmm. and you say okay let me, let's relate this back to what i'm looking at on the map and that's kind of been a recurring theme with people that I've interviewed with this, uh, with this series is, you know, go out there, see what you see, see how the deer use a specific area, come back to your map and say, okay, where, where can I duplicate that? Mm -hmm. like, where do I see yeah. that again? I see that the deer, you know, when there's a ditch like this with a crop field like this and a little patch of cover like this right over here, deer like to move like this. So where else mm -hmm. do I see that? Because I automatically have a, have a leg up on it. Oh yeah, absolutely, man. That's huge. And I can think of a couple things like that. I know that I, I can get off in the weeds real quick. So I don't mean to do that too much, but like one of the things that sticks out to me big time is that you look at a, at a field 
uh, like a crop field that has a flat edge on it, a straight edge, like the deer aren't going to just plinko their way into that field. They're going to have three or four designated entry points for the most part into that field. And, you know, if you haven't been out there and experienced that and seen that in person, then you would just think like, well, they're going to come in on that side somewhere. Right. But like they, they have, whether it's culturally or there are, you know, small things that you don't realize from an aerial, or maybe there are things you can pick up on from an aerial. Maybe there's a tiny ditch that leads up to this one spot. Like those are the things that you can learn and then start to pick up on. Like say, I learned that in South Dakota. Well, you know what? Actually, um, I hunt Missouri most of the time, uh, but there's still crop fields with flat edges on them. So what if I can learn something about at home from being out there? You know what I'm saying? Like there's all these, and then like still like, I used to never think about irrigation versus non-irrigation when it comes to deer food sources, but irrigated crop fields are uh, always going to be pretty good because they have a unnatural supply of water. Whereas like you you take like a dry, dry land wheat farm, it may or may not have anything there because it's dependent on rain. And you you look, then you start to learn to look for these crop circles, uh, you know, lack of a better term, you know, like pivot irrigation and you know, like, Oh, okay. There's six pivot irrigation fields in this area. Hmm. I need to start looking for that more often because it's going to have, you know, good crop. Yep. Yep. For sure. Well, one, well, a couple more things that I that I want to, to jump in on. Actually, two more questions that I've got for you. Sure, um, man. The first one is this. So we're we're talking about areas that are typically not very densely populated, but we're also mm-hmm. talking about areas that provide unique opportunities. So if you are mm-hmm. there you during populated from a deer standpoint or a human standpoint from a what, from a human standpoint. Okay. Yep. Not a not a ton of people necessarily live out there, mm-hmm. but they can receive a lot of hunting pressure because they provide pretty unique opportunities, whether that's mm-hmm. a early September hunt, you know, getting after one in velvet, new kind of experience with spot and stalk and moving in on things. And so the, the, these spots can still get quite a bit of quite a bit of pressure as you mm-hmm. have hunted out there. Uh, what are some of the things that you've noticed um, and maybe things that you can kind of pick up on when it comes to a map, you know, what, what's going to make a spot overlooked potentially and, you know, the pressure moves right on by. And what's going to make a spot uh, low pressure because people just don't want to do it? Like, and, I, and I'm thinking from a perspective of, you know, here in Wisconsin, my favorite place to hunt, I use water access. I have mm-hmm. never seen another hunter use water access on this property. Mm-hmm. Not one time. Now, you go down to Louisiana, everybody uses water access. Everybody's got a duck boat. That's right. Everybody's got a duck boat. Yeah. So the, 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 the difference is here, you know, uh, uh, up here or down there, you wouldn't think it's a big deal. Yeah, I use my boat to go deer hunting. Up here, yeah. it's a huge deal. So out, out, mm-hmm. out in, in some of these more western areas, what are some of those um, some of those things that you can do to maybe get away from the crowd? Or what, what's going to make an area, maybe even just an area that you write off, that you're like, hey, everybody's going there, so I'm not. Yeah. Well, so there's uh, three things that jump out. I'm going to try to remember them all without forgetting one of them. <laughs> but the first <laughs> you start saying that, that jumps out is um, so it's going to kind of blow up everything I've already said about terrain and all that. But in a little bit more Western application, you know, in those rolling hills and stuff, people get used to wanting to see. And if you go to a really yep. spot, nobody wants to go in there and hunt that because they can't see, right? So it's actually really advantageous as an Eastern style hunter because you're used to not being able to see very much. So you go in there, start reading signs, you can set up and, and have a really good hunt and be in a place that, you know, hardly anybody else wants to hunt because it's just not very advantageous advantageous to the style of hunting that that area usually uh, kind of lends itself to. So that would be one. I would think about that a lot. Another thing that I've noticed, and this is one of the secrets that I hope Tyler doesn't listen to this because he might get mad I tell you, but um, – <laughs> You go to a place, if you want to go hunt whitetail, okay, and, and you are a whitetail guy, you go to an area that has mostly mule deer or is known as a mule deer hunting area, you will hardly see anyone in there hunting the whitetails. Mm. Um, and that works really good, especially, you know, uh, you refer back to the state we talked about earlier that's an over-the-counter state. There's a lot of people trying to go get their velvet mule deer. 
Well, there's also some good whitetails in that same country that nobody's messing with because everybody's up there in the hills trying to chase those mule deer around. Uh, so that's another point. Uh, what was my third one? Man, I need to come up with that. Let me think a second. <laughs> okay. It's stuff that jumps out at you. Can you repeat your question? Let me see if I can bring it up again. Yeah. It was just kind of like, what, what are some of the things that will either help you get away from the crowd or, you know, that kind of, uh-huh. kind of get you out there away and to avoid some of the pressure or mm-hmm. even, even the, this kind of, the kind of follow up was what, what makes a spot scream overlooked to you? Yes. Okay. I got you. And that's the third thing I have for you. So, uh, as close to town as you can possibly get. Interesting. Um, yeah. I've, I've, uh, I've killed, uh, deer when I could hear the kids playing at recess, um, at the, at the local school and people just want, whether they're staying, you know, camping out in the boonies or they're staying, uh, you know, in a hotel, they don't want to drive two minutes and turn in, you know, like I could walk here, you know, everybody wants to drive out there and get in the wild. Right. Well, I do love that. And I go to these places because they're scenic and they're beautiful. And I love to go just see all the different and cool spots that deer can habitate. But, uh, and at the same time, I want to go have a successful hunt and I'm going to do my best to not uh, cloud my vision by wanting a picturesque hunt. Right. So, and of course don't be dangerous or stupid right <laughs> but um a lot of these places have public ground that's just right around town and people overlook that stuff man they really really do and i, I understand why but uh if i can go and, and have fun doing it i'm going to do it whatever way that is you know then it doesn't bother me too much to be close to town because i like to shoot deer yeah there you go and and to be clear uh, you're not saying shoot deer on the schoolyard while the kids are out at recess. No. Right? No, that's public land. You probably don't have access to that public that's land. Right. That's correct. So, yeah, I was within earshot, right? So uh, on a place perfectly legal to do so. But yeah, man, like uh, I think that those are probably three big things that I that I would consider. You know, yeah, don't be afraid to hunt um, stuff that's kind of mule deer top country. Don't be afraid to hunt the weird terrain and the other terrain, and then don't be afraid to hunt close to town. Man, that's all really, really good stuff. Well, I got, I got one more question for you. We're, we're right at an hour right now. So if somebody calls Casey and, uh, you know, I'll, I'll put your phone number out there so everybody can call you after this. Um, <laughs> if, if somebody calls you and says, hey, look, g- give me two minutes of your time. Tell me the one piece of advice that you can give me to make me better at map scouting. What's that one piece of advice going to be? Um, hmm. So I'm going to give you two answers because I think you've gotten this one before. So I want to give people something a little bit different, but the one is to go out in confirmation. Confirmation is huge. I mean, you can do it around home too. Just if you want to practice map scouting, just find a place that you know you can drive around, even if it's private and map scout it out, look at it real good and say, oh, I think these areas would be good and, drive, and then go drive it and make sure it lines up with what you're seeing. And then you can correlate that stuff to an area you haven't gone to where you know, like, oh, man, I can tell on this that these trees don't have leaves. So that means they're probably oaks, hickories, elms, or something like that. You know, they're not an evergreen. And you can go confirm that stuff on the ground. And same thing goes with terrain and all that kind of stuff. So I think confirmation is huge. Getting out and, and not be a keyboard warrior, but instead do, do your homework, do your map scouting from the desk, and then go out there and make sure that you aren't building upon data that's incorrect, right? Because that's just unscientific and doesn't work um so the other thing that something and that's something that you've heard people talk about before right yep, yep yeah so the other thing that makes you would make you a better map scouter hmm uh i would say put in the hours and maybe spend time map scouting stuff that you may or may not even ever hunt. Hmm, um, interesting. Yeah, just because the practice is good, right? And it kind of goes off the confirmation stuff too. Like, man, I've, I've map scouted uh, your area, Wisconsin. I don't know about your area, but I've, I've map scouted Wisconsin quite a bit, and I haven't hunted there. <laughs> I don't know if I will in the next two or three years, you know, but yep. it's good to, to make sure that you are putting your eyes on a lot of different types of stuff on the map 
you know, like cattail marshes or, you know, big woods timber or, or, you know, some of that, uh, timber cut stuff down in, in the South or, well, you know, whatever it might be. That way you've, you've seen the stuff a little bit before and you're making some plans. Who knows? You might stumble into a spot and, and just get a wild hare and go on a late season hunt and go kill a big buck or something because you, you have map scouted it and you got this place in your back pocket. You know, whenever you have, you, you string together a couple of days off, you're like, shoot, man, I need to go somewhere quick. Uh, it'd be pretty bad to not have any spots that, you know, you really want to head to. So, uh, I would say, you know, uh, spend, spend some time doing it. If, if you want to make it to be something that's a part of your, uh, you know, your toolbox, uh, you got to make sure it's something that you've used pretty often. I wouldn't put a skill saw in somebody's hands that is, uh, <laughs> you know, it is, uh, I, I don't know, uh, a banker, you know, and they yep. just never touched without talking about, you know, how to use it. Right. And, and so that's the thing, not to, not to say that, uh, bankers can't make really good handyman on the weekends. They can, but they need some experience doing it. And I don't ask me the first thing about banking, right? Because <laughs> <laughs> was terrible in college. I hated it. So, uh, you know, you have to make sure that you're familiar with the tools that, that you're using and, and figure out a system that works good for you. And I'm going to give you another answer. Dad, gum it. I can just talk and come up with stuff, man. I'm sorry. <laughs> but organize your map scouting system, whatever you use. I use Onyx, and I have got red pins across the 50 states of America. And <laughs> it gets confusing to yep. a certain standpoint. So try to, and that's another reason to really put some use on it, streamline that stuff, and, and uh, don't just, you know, put 50 pins on a hundred acres to where you don't even know what's going on. And when you're out there, don't mark every piece of deer poop that you come across. You know, you're going to, you know, you're going to discombobulate yourself with too much stuff on the map. You're going to confuse yourself. So find a system that works for you to where you can really, um, either go back and understand the data or you can be prepared when you go into the field and not be just, you know, confused when you look at your own map. Yep. Man, that's good stuff. That's good stuff. Well, hey, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it. Uh, thanks for coming on. And if uh, folks want to hear more from you, if they're listening to this podcast, they probably know who you guys are. But where would you point them? <laughs> Absolutely, man. I can't imagine wanting to hear more from me. I talk too much as it is. But <laughs> I appreciate the opportunity, dude. It's been good talking to you. We, uh, we, we've got a, um, a podcast of our own called The Element Podcast. We've been going for quite a while. Uh, mostly DIY hunting tactics. I mean, public land, private land, whatever it might be that we're doing. We talk a lot about that stuff. We have guest interviews and that sort of thing. And then, um, of course, our YouTube channel would be another place I'd point people to because we we do um, what we call our season playlist, which is you know kind of our deer season hunting stuff that we do: deer and elk, turkey, hogs, whatever it might be. And then uh, we also have quite a bit of DIY slash informational stuff. And we, we actually have produced some map scouting series. So uh, if you are interested in getting to maybe know a little bit more about map scouting or, or want to hone your skills or just maybe just see a little bit more about kind of how we break down a property specifically when we go to map scout one, you can go check out some of that stuff on our, our YouTube channel. Yeah, I'd recommend folks go check that out. You guys were in Michigan, right? We were. We went to Michigan this past summer and... Uh, uh, I don't know, man. It's not quite as hard as they make it out to be, I don't think. But I might get slack over that. I don't know. Yeah. Hey, direct any direct any hate mail to the Element Podcast, uh, right. not the How to Hunt Deer Podcast. Bad press is good press, you know. That's what they. That's what they say. I'll, <laughs> no, I'll take it. There's a big difference in getting the trail camera picture of a good deer and then also putting an air in one, as, as we all know as hunters, right? So that's right. It's kind of fun fodder there. Yep, for sure. Well, man, thanks for your time. I appreciate you coming on. Absolutely, dude. Thank you so much. Really appreciate the opportunity. Thanks for listening to today's episode. You can find more outdoor-themed podcasts at sportsmansnation.com on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere else you download your podcasts.